0: To the Haskin Cast podcast, I am your host Scott Haskin, and I have a pretty amazing album to review with you guys in this episode. If you're listening in, you know the the week that I'm releasing it. You know I released three episodes this week, uh, all on Wednesday. And the first one, if you have not listened to it, I would encourage you to go listen to it before you listen to this episode. My interview with manager Steve Weltman. What a great guy! And uh, he had a lot of really important and amazing things to say in that interview. So I would stop, go back and listen to that, and then come back and listen to this episode. Also, the episode that I did uh, reviewing Lee Kerslake's album, Eleventeen, very good album, very much worth the time to listen to. Um, This one's a bit different. And if you did listen to the interview I did with Steve, he told the story about how this came together between Ken and a gentleman named Vladimir and, you know, it's it's really amazing when you think about two people sitting next to each other who don't speak the same language, who really have a very limited way of communicating, end up putting an album out together. And it really makes me think back about the time before I moved here to Vegas and I came up here for, you know, just a, a couple of days as I would three or four times a year and just made it a point of interacting with people. You know, I'm not much of a people person, but I really took uh, the time to interact with people and and even people at the sundry shops. If I went to get a bottle of water, instead of you know them saying, "Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you?" Just the water, yeah, that'd be great. You know, actually having a, a meaningful contact with them. And I think about you know Ken and Vladimir sitting on the plane, sitting next to each other. They can't communicate. And then they end up making an album together. I mean, how incredible is that? That's that's pretty spectacular. Now, this this album musically and everything is quite a departure from the music that I know from Ken, and uh, it it's kind of something that that really sits on its own as the circumstances were very different. So is the music, um, but it's a it's a great album, and there is going to be a little bit that's going to sound familiar to Uriah Heap fans in one of the songs. But the album really has an interesting tone overall to it. I think uh, from a vocal perspective, I think Ken sounds fantastic. I mean, he he just his voice is just rich and powerful through the whole thing. It's you know, it, it's like he's not in his 70s doing this. It's like he's in his 20s or 30s doing it. He's just got that much strength and power and passion in it. And I love that. It, it's really interesting when you're telling other people's stories to be able to find that passion in, in what other people are creating when you yourself are somebody who can create an endless amount of things. You know, most of us want to just be creating our own stuff every once in a while. Yeah, we'll do a cover, but for the most part, if we can create our own album, we want to be just writing and doing our own thing. So it's, it's always interesting when an artist that has that ability takes on a project with someone else and and they write the lyrics and then you gotta, you gotta make them happen both musically and vocally. And I think it's uh, this album on the whole, I think is real Testament to Ken as an artist and his ability to not just see his own visions, but really be able to see the vision of someone else and carry it out into an art form that can be expressed and consumed by the public. I think it's a fantastic album, even just in that right alone, the fact that these two people that, that could communicate, uh, on their own were able to create an album is pretty amazing in and of itself. So, um, go listen to the interview with Steve. If you haven't already, there's also some very good news in there for Ken Hensley fans. I'm not going to spoil it on this show. You got to go listen to the other interview. Do it. I promise you will be very excited as I am. I'm still, still excited about that. So let's get into the album itself. There are 10 tracks on it. And I think that uh, every one of them is just a stunning track. So going into it with that attitude. Now I've only heard this twice, by the way. Um, I waited a few days from the, from when I first got it to listen to it. And then, um, it was another week or so before I listened to it again. So, um, it was tough, uh, really from that emotional standpoint, as I talked about, um, to get myself to listen to this, not that I didn't want to, not that I wasn't excited to hear what was created, but just that idea that this was, this is going to be the last one, you know, um, at that time, knowing that. Uh, it was a very difficult thing for me to to walk into, but I'm very glad that I I did listen to it, and I will listen to this many times over and over again, as I will Lee Curse Lake's 11 Teen, um, both just fantastic albums. So here is the first song on the album. It's called Lost My Guardian. One,
1: two, three, yeah!
0: Okay, so let's get the elephant in the room addressed first. Yes, this album is another one that has a lot of brick wall limiting in it. Um, uh, I love the album despite that. I think that this was another one that was kind of mixed going in with the, the notion that that was going to happen. So the, um, the mix was done with the preparation of that. So there's a little bit more separation in the instruments than you hear on a lot of albums where this is done. You can still hear more of the dynamics than you normally would, but it does have that that edge to it that you get from Brickwall Limiting that I don't particularly care for. Aside from that, I think the production is fantastic. I think that the album is incredibly well mixed. I think you can hear uh, everything fairly well. I mean, there's some things that are gonna suffer just from from the way it's limited, but uh, for the most part, I think it was it was very well mixed and panned with that in mind. So I'm gonna push past that. And that's really the only negative thing I have to say about the album. And I will probably say that on just about every album that is Brickwell Limited because I really hate that. But that's just my preference. I mean, obviously, there's plenty of people out there that like it. It's, it's, uh, you know it's, it's great for certain things that need a consistency, like, say... YouTube videos, people that use music on YouTube videos. It's really tough because one video will just be quiet and you'll have to turn it up and then the next video comes on and it's normal. But because you turned up the other video, now it's super loud. You got to hurry up and tune it, turn it down before you blast your ears out. Um, there's no consistency to it. So the one thing I will say about brick wall limiting is that it does keep things very consistent. Unfortunately, I think it, it ruins the sound on uh, on a lot of things. I would love to hear a mix of this that wasn't done uh with that sort of technique in mind but this song alone um you know lost to my guardian it's it's got such a great hard rock sound to it it's got that edge that just uh you know really feels like it's it's just very powerful and uh the bass drum hits my chest i like that um the uh it, it's it's a great way to kick off an album i think it's a fantastic starter love that short uh sort of synthy intro Uh, just going right into the song. I love the vocal effect too on it. I think it sounds really good. I'm not huge on vocal effects that are used that much, but in this case, I think it's very tasteful. It's not to the point where you're like, okay, this is ridiculous. It's, you know, um, I've had enough. I just want to hear a straight vocal. I think it's done very, very well. It doesn't really detract from the song. And that's important to me because a lot of times I think that kind of producing or overproducing in some cases can really ruin a song or an entire album for me. But I think in this case, it's it's very tasteful. It doesn't really detract from the song at all. And I think it was it was a, a great song. It's definitely one that gives you a sense of what the album's going to be like, which is very important for an album starter. It's kind of like if you are, um, you know, you like uh, musicals and things and that have overtures, I look at the importance of the opening song of an album to be the same as the importance of the overture. The difference is, is that you're not setting all the themes as you would in an overture on an album, but you are setting the tone for, I think, what should be expected on the album. If the majority of the album is going to be hard rock, the opener should be hard rock. If it's, you know, if it's going to be a more gentle album, then the first song should be more gentle, just, you know, giving it that here's what you're in for if you take this ride, so to speak. But I think so in, in light of that, I think that this is a great opener for the album. I think it's got just a powerful sound to it doesn't need to be fast to be powerful. It just needs to have that great sound to it. And it does it absolutely nails it on every aspect. So this next song will be interesting for some of you who may know part of this. Or the setup for the song under a different name. On this album, Ken Hensley's My Book of Answers, it is called Right Here, Right Now.
1: I didn't ask. Don't give a damn about tomorrow. The trouble it can bring. I'm gonna stay right here right now.
0: So, any of you that are familiar with the opening track of, of the album Firefly by Uriah Heap, this is obviously uh, you know based on the music from The Hanging Tree. A little bit different. Um, I really love the uh, the sort of synth brass that, that's in this. I think that's very powerful. I wouldn't have expected that, but I think it sounds really good. Obviously, the lyrics are completely different uh, from The Hanging Tree, but it's it's got that same opening just done a little bit differently. You know, the beat of it is there. Uh, I really like this this version of it. It's kind of hard for me to separate the two. I would love to know why he uh, really wanted to dig into this as opposed to just writing something new. But I think that it's uh, it's a great use of the music. Really heavy too. Uh I I think that bass and snare sound is just it's just pounding in your face. And Ken's vocals are still above that yet. Uh but as unbalanced as I would normally think this mix is, because it's really bass and drums and vocals, and then everything else takes a back seat for a lot of the song. There is a great guitar solo in here though. But normally I would say a mix like this is really unbalanced, but for some reason I, I think it kind of works with the music being in in the back seat of the car while you're in the front. I don't know why. It shouldn't work, but it seems to work for me. But either way, it's got a very huge drum sound to it. I really like that. Um, I don't normally, but I think on this album, you know, it really fits the the songs. It really gives it an edge, you know, and I like that it's consistent. But uh, yeah, this is a really good song and really one that um, I will listen to many times over as I will the whole album. Next up, we have a song called The Cold Sacrifice. I love the dramatic intro on this song. I love the the sound and the mood of the song. It, it's weird. It, it really has sort of a 90s rock feel to me. In fact, I, I don't know exactly why, but for some reason, I'm picturing a Rocky montage being put to this song. Um, they were they were long and abundant in those movies, but I, it just kind of has that that feel, that personal story that I need to get through this that would, I think, have fit a, a Rocky montage really well. But I love the sound. I love the sound of Ken's voice, especially on this song. But it definitely has that 90s rock feel. I love the hi-hats too, because through that opening, you can really hear them almost like they're swirling because they're keeping them very open and they're playing uh, eighth notes on them instead of quarter notes like you would normally expect with a beat like that. So it sounds uh, really interesting. It kind of sounds uh, a little unsettling as well, but uh, definitely a, a good, powerful song. And I think the placement of this too, coming right after uh, the second song on the album. I think this works really well as far as the, you know, if, you, if you're looking at the album as a whole and you're looking from one song to the next, how well the album flows, I think the song order is very good here, especially this one. I think coming off of the last song, I think this just blends perfectly. Um, but that's just what I think. What do you guys think? That's what's important to you, right? So the next song, you know, uh, there are some really dark themes on this album. Let's let's not be, uh, you know, light about that. As as, as I said, well, it's, you know, it's kind of a dark album. No, it's a dark album. Um, the next song is called The Silent Scream. And I don't know about you guys, but man, that's one I've had nightmares about where you know, something bad's about to happen to you and you know, it's about to happen to you and you open your mouth and just nothing comes out. There's people all around and nobody can see what's about to happen. So you try and, you know, sound off some alarm and there's just, there's nothing there for people to hear. And you're, you've never felt more helpless, you know? So, uh, that's when I hear that title, that's the first thing that comes to mind. And, um, yeah, it really suits the the theme of the album for sure.
1: Can't have again the
0: There are some really good guitar parts on the song. Um, the drums sound really strong, but the the kick drum is a little muddy for me. I think the song might have sounded a little bit better if the if the kick drum was a little bit punchier. Um, just my thought. I really can't compare it because I don't have that sitting in front of me, but just something that I'm imagining um, that would have benefited. But, you know, everyone's taste is different, of course. I think Ken really sounds interesting on this album from a vocal perspective because he you could tell it's Ken Hensley. But it's almost like he's singing just slightly different to to suit the style of the album a little bit, and i I like that. I like that it's a little bit unique. I like that the album has a flavor that's its own. I feel like we've really lost that nowadays. as I've said before on the show, you know with the way that we're recording things nowadays, it's like everything the the engineer comes in and he sets up his template, he's got his plugins, and the band comes in and they sound check and and so many albums they just sound the same now. Um, you can't tell even within the same band from one album to another, you know, the album sounds so similar now that they don't have their own personality anymore. Like they used to, if you go back over the Uriah Heap catalog, even just the first five, six albums, every one of them sounds different. They sounded like they were recorded at a different time. They sounded like they were, you know, individual projects. And nowadays you listen to a band and the last album sounded just like this one does. And like the one before the difference is the players. You know, Mick, Mick Box and I talked about this when I interviewed him, and he's absolutely right. The the equipment that the person brings and the way that they play is going to affect that sound. But from an overall sonic uh quality, I think that's the word I'm looking for. Sonic quality. Um it They they you know, the plugins do the things that they do. They've got their EQ set that that almost override the instrumentalist sometimes, because no matter how how clean the drummer was when he was miked, this is the EQ that should be for the bass drum. This is the EQ that we should use on a snare drum. This is the noise gate we should use. You know, those kind of things make the album sound the same. But this one has a very, very distinct personality, which I like. Um, It really feels like a 90s rock album with, you know, like with a modern uh Modern mix to it, and I like that, but I really especially like the guitars on this. I think the vocals are great um not really hearing what the bass is doing because it is being a bit drowned out. I know there's some keyboards in there I'm not really hearing either, but overall um the song is really good it 's just another very powerful one, and I think that so far I mean we 're four songs in we're almost halfway, and the album has been very, very consistent so far, whether the song was a little more up tempo or or a little less up tempo. Um, the consistency and the feel, the cohesiveness of this album is definitely there, and I really like that. So, moving along, now we will hit the uh, the midway point of the album with a song called "Cover Girl." <laughs> Now, for me, and maybe because we're hitting that first, you know, ballad of the album, um, this sounds the most Ken Hensley of everything that we've listened to so far. I think his voice is just amazing on this. I feel like he's trying to keep it in a certain um, a certain range. I feel he's he's singing a little bit restrained on here, I'm sure, very purposefully. But uh, it sounds really good. So powerful. I love the intro to the sound. It's uh, to the song. It's epic. Right, it's it's just huge, and you really wouldn't think that it's going to go where it does. I mean, everything we've heard has been good, solid rock, and we get into this one, we've got this really good build, and then all of a sudden it just drops down. And we've just got a little bit of gentle music and vocals, really unexpected, um, which which was nice actually. I thought this was probably a good time to um, you know let things mellow out a little bit, but it's a great song. It's really powerful, especially in the vocal. Um, I love that build. I love the overall field of the song. And it's, it's, you know, one where I, I like pointing out, like, I like this, but I hate that. I, I think that sometimes we have to do that. We have to show a, a contrast in a song. And I think that's something that we don't do enough of. I think we tend to just like, here's what I like, and I'm going to sing about that. And here's what I don't like, and I'm going to sing about that. But to do like a, a contrast or a comparison or something like that, I think that's really neat. It's a rare kind of thing, at, at least from songs that I know you don't hear a lot of. Um, but yeah, it was very, very well done in the song. And again, you know, these lyrics are are by Vladimir, translated into English, and then Ken built everything around that. But uh, yeah, really good, powerful song. I, I, I really like it. Now, uh, as we continue our journey through my book of answers. Our next song on the album is called light the fire in my heart.
1: Every day on my way And stopped to feel the beauty In the songs that he played They touched my soul For he was singing my life In a simple melody like no
0: You know, listening to the lyrics of this song, it's it's almost surprising that Ken didn't write it because I think this is something that would have been right up his alley um, based on, you know, a lot of the songs that I've I've heard him write. But this one is, is really nice. For some reason, I don't normally like to make these comparisons, but I think it's more of a lyrical thing. It kind of does remind me a little bit of The Wizard from Demons and Wizards because it's it's got that, you know, connection with a guy who's just somebody who knows stuff. You know, uh, I... I I can't say musically or, or any other connection that I find with it, but for some reason I, I do make that connection. I love the drums in the opening. I love the the melodic sound of the toms that they that they played there. I think that's really a, a great, powerful way to open the song. And again, it's another one where at first you're like, maybe this is a ballad, but we just had a ballad, so I don't know if this is a ballad. Well, it's a ballad, <laughs> you know, uh, two in a row, that's okay. But it's, you know, a very uh, bluesy song. It's a very emotional Um it kind of has that feel to me that I think this, you know, from, from just from a sonic perspective, okay, uh, I think would have been a good ending to the album. It kind of has that feel of it's the end of the night. I have one more tale to tell. And while I'm telling it, we're all going to put our arms around each other and just kind of sway back and forth and listen to the song. Um, I feel a, a, a musically, I feel a unity. There's a few songs that do that to me where, I just for some reason picture it to be like a kumbaya moment. You know, uh end of the night, end of the film, last run of the pl- last night of the 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 play um when the run is over. You know, things like that, just that we don't know when we're going to see each other again. This has been wonderful. Let's share this last beautiful moment together um before we we shut the lights out on the whole thing. So, I think it would have been a great album ending song just from that perspective, but Certainly, that's not the intent of the song by any means. That's just what I feel when I hear it, and I remember even just a minute in the first time I heard it. That's the the immediate impression that I got of it. It just it just felt like a, a wrap up song, you know. Um, but it's it's such a beautiful message. It's a very emotional tune, a beautiful vocal. Um, the music is very strong. There's so many subtleties in the. In the synthesizers and stuff that's just very gently laid down in the background. If if you really focus on it, you can hear it, but you feel it more than you hear it. And a- again, maybe that was intentional, maybe it wasn't. I don't know, but it 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 is typically um something I, I enjoy. I love when there's layers in a song. You know, I love when there's little things that after hearing it and thinking that you know the song really well, you hear something that you never heard before. Another layer, you know, kind of um unearths itself from inside the music. And I think that this is one of those songs. I think I'll be discovering things in this song for, um, for quite some time to come. And honestly, that, that really makes me happy. But it's a beautiful song. I, I, I love it. I think it's, it's something that is very powerful, very much right up Ken's alley. So um, I think it's a great addition to the album. And that's just what I think. But, you know, it's my show. So, <laughs> uh, so next we come up to a song called Stand, Chase the Beast Away.
1: Come to trouble you Everywhere and every way Fear is our we here today It bids us live in solitude To hide inside our shell Out of the darkness and confusion Now is the time for us to stand, stand up Stand up
0: As you could hear in the very beginning of it, you've got that snare count in intro, uh, which is really nice. It just sounds like he's hitting it and then letting the stick just bounce gently on the beat. But then you have that organ swell that comes in and it's it's not in the real foreground, even though there's nothing else going on. It still feels like it's very much in the background. And that shows you the balance of the mix is so vocal and drum heavy. Um, Whereas normally, you know, if Ken's going to do an organ swell, you're going to hear it and you're going to feel it. And it's going to be in your face. So it's a really interesting mix on this album. Uh, the But the backing vocals, when they come in uh, right after the organ swell, they're just so powerful and really elegant. I love the sound of them. There's something about a female chorus that just just gives a song a, a different feel than it would have any other way. I mean, you could have men, you could have a, a combination of men and women singing. But there's just something about this kind of female vocal that that really has a, a unique feel. And certainly that alone can really color the song. It's a beautiful ballad uh, musically. It, it is a little bit dark. But again, it, even with that, this still has that same feeling of togetherness and unity for me. I think that's just because of the way that the female vocals are done. Um, but it's almost uh, uh, something that, that you might expect to hear from Blackmore's Night. It feels a little bit Renaissance in those vocals as well. So it's a really interesting song, um, but it's a very powerful vocal from Ken. There's some really great delivery in here. Just so powerful, so emotional. I love the acoustic guitars in this song. I think they, you know, when, when you have this kind of acoustic strumming, um, as I've said many times on the Uriah Heat podcast, it, it, really, um, it really helps move a song forward. You know, it keeps it going, that rhythmic, uh, almost hypnotic sound that you hear, but there's something about the way it's layered together in this song that just really strikes me as, as just being beautiful. It's a very powerful song and one that, uh, you know, honestly, I, I would say that with, with really everything on this album, but this song, especially, I think it's one that when you listen to it, don't do anything else. Don't be, you know, playing on the internet. Don't be, you know, answering emails, whatever, like really just sit down and listen to this song. It's a very powerful and I think that you'll enjoy it more if you do that. And I'm one who often does like two or three different things at the same time, but this song in particular, I think, really uh, deserves that attention and focus. There's there's just really something magical about it. I can't I can't quite put my finger on it. I don't know what it is, but there's there's something in this song that really just delights me. Um, I think that's about the best way I can put it, as strange as that as that is. I wish I could come up with something, um, you know, a, a, a little loftier in, in terms of description. But unfortunately, that's what I got at the moment. So, you know, you get what you pay for on the show anyway. Um, so the next uh, the next track as we as we wind down to the end of this already. Um, the last so there's 10 songs I have on the album. This is track eight, but this track actually appears uh, as the regular version. So there's nine tracks on the album and then an alternate version of The Darkest Hour, which is our next track. of course, on the last song, I'm talking about how quiet the organ is. And then in the beginning of this song, it's the, the predominant instrument. So <laughs> that would figure. But uh, it's it's a really interesting song. It's very powerful. Obviously, this, the subject matter is incredibly a, about one of the most intense things that you can write about. And I think that the most interesting thing about the verse for me in this song is the way that, you know, on the on the first two lines are usually sung similar. And then the third line, it goes up. And the fourth line, it either stays up or or goes back down to where the first and second lines were. But this one like goes up and then comes right back down. And um, I thought that was kind of interesting. There's also a a couple of interesting uh, short tempo changes in the the delivery of the vocals, which really kind of threw me off the first time I heard it because it was very unexpected. But it's really unique. It's very well written. Uh, I really like that. Um, the whole song just feels massive and weighty. You know, it's a, it's a huge sounding song. It's very powerful, but it just it feels like it sits on my chest because the the subject matter is so intense and so sad that uh, I, I think it's one of the one of the worst things a person could go through, and something that a lot of people do, unfortunately. But it's it's beautifully delivered. It's one that I find it's almost at the edge of being hard to listen to just because it's so intense in the emotion. And as much as I love that, sometimes that can be a little overwhelming. And I think this song really rides that edge. I, I think it's, it's nearing the point where if it was any darker or any more intense, I don't know that I'd want to listen to it very often, but with this as it is, it's just delivered so beautifully that it's hard not to just want to hear it again as soon as it's over and that is for me at least a, a sign of a great song. And this one is definitely one that um, that touches me pretty strongly. It's not something I've ever been through, but something that that definitely um, grips me very powerfully. So um, one of my favorites for sure. And now that brings us to the last, um, I guess what would be the last official track on the album. It's called Suddenly. And then uh, after that, we go to the alternate version of The Darkest Hour as we end the album. So let's listen to a bit of Suddenly. This is a very beautiful intro to a song. Um, you know, especially for being the last song on the album, I think this would be a good start for a second side, an intro like this. But the, the ending of the song, I mean, definitely makes the, the ending of the proper album work. But uh, I love this long buildup. It's another example of, a, of an epic start for a song on this album. Uh, fantastic. I, I'm a big sucker for, for strings like this that just blend together so well. Uh, I love the drums. I, I, it's kind of strange to me that the toms aren't a little bit louder and more powerful. Um, they kind of seem to fade into the distance at points in, in there. But again, I'm, I'm assuming that was intentional. Um, but it, the song definitely goes in a different direction than that. Don't don't think by the clip that I'm playing that you know the song, because I guarantee you there are a good three or four complete twists in this song that you would not expect. And it's uh, it's just a great song. It's it's one I would actually dare to call an epic song. Um, the the directions it takes are very powerful. They're very strong choices. They're really risky too, because you could um, you know you could lose people li- listeners when you make a- changes sometimes that are too abrupt. But I think um, for me that that just gripped me more. You know, it made me want to hear more of the song and, and to see what was going to happen next. So there are a lot of great things in here. I love that piano uh, with the strings. And, uh, you know, if you guys know me, I'm not a huge piano fan these days, kind of burn out on it, but that just sounds absolutely fantastic. This really, the opening feels very much film score. And I love the guitars, absolutely adore how emotional and how powerful the guitars are on this. Um, It's something that really makes me know that I'm in for, uh, you know, an, an emotional journey. And they do a great job leading you to that. Um, I I think it it also has that feeling of, you know, everything's going to be okay in the end. You know, it's all going to work out. We're all going to going to make it through whatever it is we need to make it through. But it the lyrics at the same time are, are kind of haunting, and um, especially considering you know, one of my favorite songs of Ken's, "Cold Autumn Sunday," um, just has that kind of uh, haunting quality to it. I think especially now because he's gone um, probably stands out more to me than it might have otherwise, but it's, it's just, there's so many elements. That's what I mean. Like it's haunting, but it's beautiful. It's got this big, you know, epic buildup. It's, it's got rock and roll. It changes directions a couple of times. Like there's so many amazing things about this song. Another one of my favorites, absolutely. Another one of my favorites on this album. And, uh, I think it would have been a good one to end with, but I'll be honest. I'm really glad that they did, um, this alternate version of my darkest Hour because. Uh, or I'm sorry, The Darkest Hour, because I think it really, um, it just ties the whole thing together so much better than uh, even this ending would have. And so I'm going to play a little bit of that for you. Here is the alternate version of The Darkest Hour.
1: I've been waiting patiently to see you And I watched your whole family try In the shadow of death to revive you While you, my precious child, waited to die You looked to return just like a hero. But the curse was much stronger than you. In the darkness far blacker than the night
0: itself. It could completely be my imagination. That is very likely. That happens from time to time. But I really feel like this version is even more emotional than the last version. And maybe it's because it's more straightforward. There's less music. So maybe vocally he's compensating for, uh, you know, for the lack of the instrumentation to carry the emotion. But it's uh, it's a really powerful version. I'm really glad they added it. I think it ties the whole album together. But at the same point, it is kind of tough to listen to just because it's it's so powerful. Um, I won't tell you what happens at the end. I highly suggest you go listen for yourself, but let me just say from my perspective, um, wow, just, just, you know, uh, bring a box of Kleenex for, for the finale because, uh, for me it's, it's incredibly powerful. So, um, overall it's an absolutely beautiful album. I think the production is fantastic. I not a fan of the brick wall limiting but there's so many good things in here. So many layers, so much emotions, so powerful, uh, you know, music vocally, the choruses, the drums. I mean, everything is just so powerful and it's a fantastic album from start to finish. This will be one that I will, I will listen to many times throughout the rest of my life because it, it has all the feels, you know, it really does. And even though for, for the most part, the album is very dark. Um, I still find a lot of joy in it, you know, I, as a musician and also as a fan of music, uh, as someone who can kind of pick through the layers of, of the audio, um, just from every standpoint, I think it's a fantastic album. And I'm very grateful that I got to hear it, that I'll be able to hear it many, many times to come. Um, again, much like I suggested with Lee Kerslake's book, uh, book his album, uh, 11 Teen, I would highly suggest this, if you're a digital music collector, this would be one I would suggest that you actually consider getting the, the digi pack because it has a, a booklet in it where the lyrics are actually readable. You know, there's some absolutely wonderful pictures of um, the album being recorded of, of, you know, different things going on in here, but it's, it's just a stunning booklet. There's some absolutely beautiful words on the back of the booklet from Steve Weltman. Um, I could not have written better words myself for anyone I've ever known <laughs> so well done on that steve but it's just in and, and the packaging is really beautiful there's a a really nice um uh biography on it inside the um you know when you open up the the digi pack from ken and you get a picture of him and vladimir um just a, a a wonderful package overall and you know it's it's interesting because his his album covers are typically very simple they're a concept um that aren't you know hugely developed they're not you know stuffing every corner with something they're very very simple and this is no different you know it's a, a, a sort of a, a grayish blue and black um just with uh, opposing sides and um you've got a few question marks you've got ken hensley in the words my book of answers and that's it very simple very elegant and i think it suits the album very very well um Just a wonderful, wonderful journey this has been going through both of these albums and, uh, you know, his and and Lee Kerslake's album, 11. It's been an emotional week, you know, really digging into these songs. Um, But I really enjoyed talking to Steve. I look forward to him coming back on the show. He's been so helpful and generous to me, helping with the Uriah Heat podcast, helping me, you know, schedule the interviews with uh, Ken and and Paul Newton as well. And uh, just really... Really nice to see people in the business that are truly supportive, truly kind, really do it because that's what they love doing. I mean, yes, it's a business, yes, it's how they make money, but at the same point, um, he could have just said no. He could have said, you know what, who are you? I don't know you. We're only granting interviews for certain people or anything. You no, know, he was just like, Yeah, I can, you know, let's let's get some dates together after, you know, after I deal with Lee's estate. And when I got my interviews with Paul and Ken, and those are available um on the podcast. And, um, I'll, uh, put the links to those in the show notes as well, in case you want to hear them. But yeah, it was, it was just such a great experience. And, you know, all the emails that we've exchanged throughout the months since, um, just a very supportive and caring person and to just think about how much he's seen in this business and how much he's been responsible for just by throwing out an idea. I mean, it's, it's really amazing. The, the impact that people have, we tend to think about the artists and the album or the song, um, or the story you know, whatever the, the, uh, headline of the day is, but there are people in the background that makes such a huge difference in what we as as fans or as listeners are, are given, you know, this album might not have happened without Steve Lee's album, probably wouldn't have happened without Steve. And, you know, when you think of it in those terms, it's really amazing what it actually takes to put a project together Um, for especially for those of us who do everything by ourselves. It's it's really appreciated to see people that are out there that are helping artists, uh, you know, not just become available or become known, but just creating projects out of thin air. You know, two guys can't speak to each other. They're sitting next to each other on a plane. Boom, let's make an album. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. So uh, if you listen to the uh, interview I did with Steve, you know what the the exceptionally good news is, and I will be looking forward to Steve's return to the show and to uh, the next album from Ken. Um, very anxious to hear it. Um, and then I get to go through all that. Well, this is going to be the last one thing all over again, so that part's going to suck. But you know what? I'd rather go through that and have the album to um, put me in that position than not have it at all. So I'm very grateful. I'm very excited. Um, thank you so much, Steve, for coming on and talking to me and. Sharing all these wonderful stories and helping out with these wonderful gentlemen and, and their beautiful art, getting it out to the world. Um, just a huge thank you. And thank you guys for listening. I hope you've enjoyed my review of My Book of Answers by Ken Hensley. I'll be back next week with just one episode, you know, next week. <laughs> I'm going to dial it back to my usual one. I've got a great interview headed your way and uh, it's one I've been promising for a while. So I look forward to that. Thank you, guys. I hope you have a wonderful week. Stay tuned. And if you haven't listened to it, go check out Uriah Heap, the Magician's podcast. It is on the same outlet that you are listening to this on, whether it's my website, whether it's Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, any of those places, Uriah Heap, the Magician's podcast is available. Thank you, guys. Have a great week. Cheers.